Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Philippians chapter 4, I was going to tell you a story and then I decided not to. Thus, no, when the Holy Spirit stops me, it's good. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4, let me do a brief review, a brief review. Paul, I was going to do a story about a hurricane, so it wasn't anything, but it wasn't necessary, so we can go on. Paul has written, all right, I'll tell you, no, I won't. Paul has written a letter to the church in Philippi that's really dear to him. He calls them beloved, beloved. He's constantly saying how much he loves this church, and it's a thank you letter. It's a thank you letter for the gift that they sent, and thanks for the man, Epaphroditus, that he, they sent his way. Now, if you remember, Epaphroditus almost died. He was so committed to doing what God had called him to do, he was going to die in the process. It was Paul that made the decision, Epaphroditus, I'm sending you home. You're too sick to be here, and thank God you didn't die on my watch. And what Paul does in sending Epaphroditus back, he knows that there is an issue that's going on between a couple of people in the body. So he uses the thank you letter to disciple them on the issues that have come up between people. Now we know wherever there is people, there is problem. In fact, the more people you have, the more Not here at South Bay. We don't have any problems between people. Amen? That's not true. (laughs) The issue seems to be a doctrinal issue. Because Paul takes the time to address Judaizers. We've discussed them. And he takes the time to address the Gnostics. We've talked about them as well. And they've caused quite a stir in the church. So much of a stir... There seems to be anxiety in the church. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up there in verse 6. Be anxious, he says, for nothing. And so we see that if you've got to tell someone not to be anxious, anxiety is happening in the church over this issue. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all. All understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There is so much anxiety going on that he has to exhort them to say, don't be so anxious. Now, you remember the words of Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? It's got enough worries of its own. And basically, Jesus is saying, listen, you better live one day at a time because you have no idea what could happen tomorrow. It's better just to trust me for today. I've got a very dear friend of mine, and whenever I start getting worked up of something, I give her a call because I know what she's going to say. She's a precious saint, a seasoned saint, and she's kind of like a grandmother in the Lord to me. And I'll say, here's what's going on, and she'll respond, today is September 29th. This is the day that the Lord has made. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. 
And there's something about her voice, something about the reminder of the word, that lets me have a peace that passes understanding. You see, let me tell you something about anxiety. It's one of the greatest weapons that the enemy has in the United States of America. Fear is the enemy to faith. Fear is the enemy to faith. We have entire pharmaceutical companies that have made it in business based on our fears and anxieties. Fear is a problem. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but repeated over 350 times in the Bible is do not fear. Now, if God's got to tell us something 350 times, okay, how many of you, your parents used to say, how many times must I tell you? Well, according to God, we needed to hear over 350 times, do not fear. Now, we've heard the command, why do so many of us have anxiety. We've heard him say, do not fear. We know he's the God who created the heavens and the earth. We know he's the God of the universe. We know he's got everything in his hands. Then why do we struggle with anxiety? Now notice, did you hear the pronoun we? Okay. Why do we struggle with anxiety and fear and worry? I mean, if Jesus tells us, do not worry, and we worry, then is that not sin? So let's stop for just a moment and think about this. I know I shouldn't worry, but why do I? Well, take a look at verse 7. Look at what God offers us one more time. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, there's God's will, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that he provides in prayer. The peace of God that he provides in prayer will guard. Now, we discussed this verse last week. This is a sentinel. Someone who is on guard, constantly waiting and watching for an enemy to to attack. And what he says here is that our prayer life guards our heart. It guards us. In fact, Charles Stanley has said, the quickest solution to a problem is the distance of your knee to the floor. The quickest solution to a problem is the distance of your knees to the floor. God wants to guard your heart and give you the peace of God that passes understanding. Well, let me tell you something that happens. When you get into the presence of the Almighty God, you begin to realize, he's got this. David, have you read the Psalms? God, why do you hate me? Why are you against me? All of my enemies are going to kill me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. It's like, are you serious, David? Are you schizophrenic? No, what happens is, David goes to God with all of his anxieties. He's never afraid. In fact, the Bible says he poured out his heart to the Lord. He was never worried about God listening to everything that he was experiencing. And then as he was in the presence of God, something would begin to happen into his heart and he would move from the place of anxiety to the place of peace because our prayer life guards our hearts. But Paul also says something about the peace of God. The peace of God will guard our minds. And speaking of our mind, take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, now he's got the mind on his heart. And he says, finally, brethren, 
Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if, note the difference, there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. In other words, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. I have a question for you. What are you thinking about? Did you just look at your watch and go, okay, he's got 50 more minutes to go. What are you thinking about? Do you know that you have, according to a recent study in 2020 in Queensland, Canada, okay, listen carefully, do you know that you have over six thoughts per minute? The the actual study said 6.2. How can you have 0.2 thoughts in a minute, okay? It's like the average American family is 2.5 children. How do you have a 0.5 of a child, okay? So you have over six thoughts a minute. If you sleep only seven hours, that means you have over 6,000 thoughts a day. 6,000. What are you thinking right now? Are you thinking you got to go clean your car? Are you thinking about where you're going out afterwards? Are you thinking, what am I doing with my life? What is your thought process right now? Because I need to let you know something about your thought process. It's Proverbs chapter 23. You don't need to turn there. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This is speaking about a fleshly response. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Listen again, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen carefully, our thinking affects our being. Our thinking affects our being. The way that we think about something affects whether we react or respond. The way we think about something will make us sad, Or can make us happy. The way that we think about something can make us feel like we're being challenged and we're going to get up that mountain. Or we can look at the mountain the way we think about it and we might want to quit. The way we think about things can make us compromise. Or the way that we think about something can cause us to overcome. Like when you go on a diet and someone gives you inevitably chocolate chip cookies. What are you thinking? One won't hurt. I just started the diet yesterday. The sugar's not actually out of me yet. And your, your, your flesh is willing. And now your spirit is just so weak. It's good. It's, well, i got to eat that cookie. I mean, the way that you think about it. Well, let me tell you something. Wrong thinking can lead to wrong living. Like the Salem witch trials. Wrong thinking. It led to wrong living. Now, right thinking, the exact opposite, you fill in the blank, can lead to right living. So it's important that we stop for just a moment and think this through. Would you take a look at Romans chapter 12? It'll be on the screen. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Keep that in mind. That you may prove that what is good and acceptable and the perfect 
will of God. Here's what the Bible is saying. We are changed by the way we think about things. And when we study Scripture and we see things a different way, we begin to think a different way, and no longer do we act the way that we used to. We are transformed because we've been renewed in our mind. In Titus chapter 2, this principle could never be so much more clear. Titus chapter 2, would you take a look? But as for you, Paul is encouraging Titus. He's there in Crete to set things in order. And he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men be. Stop there for just a moment. I want you to teach them so that they have in their mind sound doctrine, right thinking, and that will help the older men be. Because what we think about something is how will we will behave about it. Our thinking affects our being. You see, Paul, what he's about to do, he is about to deal with this issue that's going on. And the way that he's going to deal with it is the way that we think about it. And so Paul is going to give us some very practical advice to protect us from anxiety, worry, and fear. Now, before we dig into this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, before we dig in, I want us to take a look at how Scripture views our thinking process. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And what we might see, we're going to see the value as we see this. We're going to see the value of putting spiritual thinking into practice. And I want you to gather that value before we go any further. It's Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. Romans chapter 8, I'll pick it up in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what Paul lets us know is there are two kinds of thinking according to God. There is fleshly thinking, and there is spiritual thinking. And he says, take a look back at verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You're thinking the wrong way and you're going to act the wrong way. So if you see anxiety in your life, living according to the flesh, because Jesus told us not to worry, if you see anxiety in your life, it reveals that you're not thinking on spiritual things. I want you to hear that for just a moment. Fear and worry and anxiety means you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on a fleshly thing. Now, here's what it leads to. Death. Not so great, huh? Not so great. Now, which of you, by worrying, this is a Jesus question, can change one thing about what's going on in your life? 
Which of you, and how many of you have found worry to be just so successful? Like, when you go to bed at night, you feel so refreshed and rejuvenated for worrying all day. How many of you, just someone raise your hand and say, yes, that is me. Worry actually helps me, and I actually feel so great by the end of the day. I can't tell you, and when I wake up in the morning, I just can't wait to worry one more time. I'm going to worry about waking up. I'm going to worry whether my alarm's going to go off. I'm going to worry if I can make it to work. We're laughing because that might be the way we're living. Now listen. Then there's spiritual thinking. Those who mentally focus on spiritual things, the Bible says, have life and peace. Now, fleshly thinking leads to death. Spiritual thinking leads to life and peace. Which one do you prefer? Life and peace. The choice is absolutely obvious. So where are we thinking? Now, go back with me to Philippians. Go back with me to Philippians. Now that we've got that under our belt, now that we know the obvious choice is spiritual thinking, what he's going to do is give us what spiritual thinking is, which leads not to worry and anxiety, but it leads to life and peace. Take a look. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally. What Paul is basically saying is, speaking of the peace of mind that guards your heart, guards your mind, excuse me, speaking of the peace of God that guards your mind, let me give you some details. Finally, brethren. He's speaking to us. Believers were worrying. Believers were filled with anxiety. He's speaking to believers Now, all throughout the entire book of Philippians, he's let us know, have the mind of Christ. And what we're going to learn in Philippians 4.8 is what Christ thinks and the way that he thinks. And the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the mind of Christ, the way that he thinks. And I think some of you will be pleasantly surprised that he's not out to get you. He's not thinking, oh, he just sinned. I can't wait to punish him. (laughs) Little traffic on the 405. Let's see how he does. Oh, did she just think that about her friend? (laughs) Wait till you get home. Bills. There's going to be bills. I'm going to, you're going to have a parking ticket. That's just the way Jesus thinks, right? He's just out to get you. And as soon as you do something wrong, well, some of us actually have that as an impression of God, that he's some kind of cosmic killjoy that's out to get us every single time we make a mistake. It could be that you're a recovering Roman Catholic. Now, nothing against the Roman Catholic. But the guilt sometimes that can prevail and the things that have to be done in order to be forgiven. I mean, how many Hail Marys do I have to say? Now, this is not to say anything other than the fact that there's a reality attached to we are forgiven by grace alone. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do to attain forgiveness because that's the way that God thinks. He thinks that way. And then he says, finally, brethren, whatever. Now, some of you are concerned. I haven't gotten past three words, okay? And we're about 27 minutes in. Stay with me. Whatever. Now, remember those 6,000 thoughts a day? This word, whatever, is a plural word. And let me describe what that, what that means. 
What Paul's about to do is present to us six topics for us to be thinking about. Six things that are spiritual ways for our mind to focus on. But what this word whatever means is that within the topic, there is a multiplicity of things that you can think about just within the first topic, whatever is true. Even though he's just mentioning something, it's true. He's saying there is a multiplicity of true things that you can choose to put and focus your mind on. Now, can you imagine the different kind of life that we would all have by putting this truth into practice? That if we would simply think about the multiplicity of the things that he's about to communicate to us, we would put some pharmaceutical companies out of business. Now, let's get into it. I want you to think about, he says, whatever things are true. Whatever things are true. If you remember last week, Paul is not simply getting us to think the way that Jesus thinks. He's not just giving us the mind of Christ. He's actually making us think about Jesus. Because there is no one more true than Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, I am the truth. And there's a truth about getting our mind on Jesus in the midst of our trouble and trial that's producing anxiety. It's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, when we keep our minds on Jesus, think Peter for just a moment. As long as he kept his focus on Jesus, he was walking on top of the storm. He wasn't drowning by it. But as soon as he put his mind onto the storm, he began to sink. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, good, I was just waiting for you to get your eyes off of me. You deserved a drown. No, no. As soon as Peter called out the name of Jesus, the Bible says Jesus immediately, because that's the way that Jesus thinks. But thinking about whatever is true is important because we have an enemy. And let me tell you something about this enemy he's a liar. And he walks up to a little five year old girl in the form of a six year old or five year old boy. And that five-year-old boy doesn't even know how he's being used. And he looks at that little girl and he goes, you're ugly. And the lie gets planted. And then after that lie is planted, that little girl struggles because he's a deceiver. And what he does is he chooses to deceive that girl and make her think when she's 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, she really is ugly. And then all of a sudden, she's now trying to look pretty. She's trying to gain attention from guys. She's anorexic, trying to be as thin as she possibly can. She's had surgery after surgery because someone, somewhere, the enemy used to plant a lie into her heart and into her life. It's what the enemy does. And I'm sure that if every one of us would just take a look at the things that we are anxious about. Somewhere, somehow, the enemy planted a lie. And I'll tell you, a lie was planted in my life. When my father died, and my brother died, my uncle died, 
and Andrea's grandmother died all within three months, the enemy planted a lie. And the lie was this. You're going to die soon. Your wife's going to die soon. Your children are going to die soon. And so I began, I was, okay, we got to go do this. We got to do this because I started living and we got to get all this stuff done before we all die because we're all going to die. And it was a reality that I was living in. And it was overwhelming to live in until I finally realized it was a lie from the pit of hell. And I had to speak truth into that lie. Because what the enemy wants to do is produce anxiety, produce fear, produce depression. Because people can live in a lie their whole life. But Jesus has told us how to fight. We fight the lies with truth. Because the truth sets us free. It sets us free. So when we meditate on the truth of God and we speak the truth to the lies of the enemy, we, like the Samaritan woman, run into the village and go, I met a man who told me everything that I've ever done. You see, the truth set her free. So the Bible says, think on whatever is true. Take a look at the second one. He says, think of whatever is noble. Whatever is noble. Now, who is more noble than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? In Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it you should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My son has used this as an opportunity to tell me if Jesus has a tattoo, he can get one too. We don't know this is a tattoo. We just know it's there, okay? It could be... Something other than that, all right? There on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it's important that we look to Jesus when we think of nobility. Because sometimes I know we may have a misunderstanding about the word nobility because we're not looking at Jesus. We're looking at earthly royalty. And we've looked at the history of earthly royalty, and they've not been a great representative of the word nobility, even though they may be called nobility. You see, royalty was to set the standard of what it meant to be dignified. Royalty was to set the standard of what it means to be worthy of respect and to be reverent or to be revered. But they abused the power. So now when we think of the word noble, it has sometimes a negative context because nobility, it actually means dignified, worthy of respect. It means revered. But I don't want us to be hard on the kings and the queens of ages past. I want us to take a look at our own life for just a minute. Because this word means dignified, worthy of respect and reverend. Are there things we listen to and the things that we might watch that are not noble in the sight of God. Well, they don't affect me. They don't? They don't? Are you the judge of whether or not they affect you? Because God is saying, I want us to think of whatever is noble. Now, ignoble things 
would be something that you would be embarrassed to tell another Christian that you're a part of or that you watched. I mean, like that movie. Just stop for just a minute. And I don't know what movie it might be, okay? I, you let the Spirit do whatever He wants to do in your own heart and life, okay? Just for a moment. Or, or whatever it might be. That music, okay? I've, I've driven up next to some of you guys, okay? And I've been listening in to what you're listening to. Some of you got a little bit of rocking Jesus going on, okay? And some of you got, God bless you. Noble. Think of whatever is noble. Because what we put in is what's going to come out. Because we're thinking about it. It's the way of the enemy. Do you know what Nebuchadnezzar did? Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to teach Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. He wanted to enculturate them with the music, with the literature, with the food of the time of Babylon to make them completely Babylonian. So much so that if I was to say Azariah, Mishael, none of you would know because we only know their new identity, the Babylonian one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to fill our minds with those things so that he can change our identity. What Paul says, this produces anxiety. I'm going to tell you why. You see, the reason why the enemy is constantly providing us with disrespectful, undignified, and irreverent material is to cause a conflict within us. That conflict, we're surrounded with ignoble things. And so we've got a purpose to think of noble things from our entertainment to our social gatherings. We've got to trust that what goes in has the potential to come out. It is impacting you. Trust me. That's why the Holy Spirit says, think of whatever is noble. Think of whatever is just, he says. Think of whatever is just. Now, this word just, it means think of what is right. I need to let you know something. Though you may disagree at times, okay? <laughs> on, on Sunday, uh, I was talking about if you're dating an unsaved person, just call them today and say goodbye. <laughs> A woman came up to me after the second service. Really? You want me to say goodbye? Do you know I've been dating? I, I, and I said, well, maybe you're missing your best opportunity. She comes to Tuesday Bible study. She broke up with him. She told my wife, I was so impressed. I, I, and I, I, I didn't really believe she was going to do it. And she did. Let me tell you why. Because she wants to think of whatever is just. And no matter what she is thinking, she wants to trust that God is right all of the time. That's what the word means. God's right. Default, God's right. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. Take a look. It's on the screen. He's the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. In other words, he's always right. That's why he introduced himself to Moses. I am who I am. Because you're not who you think you are, Moses. I am who I am. I am always right. There is nothing wrong about God, even though you may feel sometimes there's something wrong with his direction. Always default to the rightness of God when you're wondering, when you're thinking about making a decision. Always default to the right thinking of God because right thinking is going to lead to right 
living. So he wants us to think of whatever is right, whatever is just. Now, we've already discussed this. Right thinking will lead to life and peace. Wrong thinking leads to some form of death and destruction. Now, we gain right thinking by knowing what God thinks about the situations in our life. And I need to let you know something. He's got thoughts on every situation in your life. In fact, in 2 Peter, he lets us know, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He cares if you live in California or not. He cares about the job that you're choosing. He cares especially about the person you want to marry. He cares about the school that you want to go to. He cares about the neighborhood that you want to live in. He cares about every thought and decision that you're making, so much so this is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his rightness. Seek it first, and everything else will be added unto you. I will take care of everything else if you seek me first and my rightness. You're going to find you're going to be taken care of, and the right decision is going to flow out of you. Think of whatever is just. He says, number four, think of whatever is pure. Now, I have a question for you. Who is more more pure than the sinless Lamb of God? In fact, in 1 Peter 1, verse 19, you'll see it on the screen. 1 Peter 1, 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, because he was without spot, He was able to offer himself as the Lamb of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, take a look at God's decision. For he made him who knew no sin, he was without spot, to be sin for us, that we might become right with God, or the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was able to offer himself as the sinless sacrifice. There was no impurity mixed with Jesus' purity. Keep that in mind. He was spotless, nothing mixed of impurity. And the justification of the resurrection, the Bible says, proves that he was sinless. Now with that in mind, it actually protects us. Thinking about whatever is pure... If we're thinking pure, then all the things in our life will be pure. We won't mix impurity with purity. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul reminds us of this. To the pure, all things are pure. Now, this is a great check verse for us, a great evaluation verse for us. You see, you know you're not thinking purely if anxiety is a part of your life. You've got some purity things to work out. And instead of a pure mind, you've got some impure things that we've got to work through, maybe some compromise that's got to be worked out because it's producing anxiety in your life. Let me tell you why. You see, you, if you're a believer, the Spirit of God is in you. And you live in your flesh. And let me tell you about the Spirit of God in your flesh. They're at war. And if you are feeding your flesh, your spirit is agitated. And if you are feeding your spirit, your flesh wants to rise up. 
And so there's this war that's going on. Your spirit wants to honor God. And your spirit is convicted. And if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But your flesh hates God, is at enmity with God. And this is where the anxiety begins to build up in us if we're giving to our flesh. Now, some of you might be going, wait a second. I got to think purely all day long? How many of you have had, don't raise your hands. You guys are so honest. Listen, how many of you have had those invasive, impure thoughts before? (laughs) Okay, you're smiling. That's like raising your hand. You've had those invasive, impure thoughts before. It's why the Bible tells us, take captive the thoughts. Sometimes you can't control what comes to your mind because of a visual or a a billboard that you saw driving by. And all of a sudden, your mind goes to a place and the Bible says, take captive that thought. You might not be able to control what comes to your mind, but you can control what you do with it. You might not be able to go, oh my goodness, where did that come from? But you can control when you do with it. Let me give you an example. I lived through a war. When, after we lived through the war, I was in the Bahamas, and, I, and, and we were, I was talking to a pastor, and I was outside in a parking lot. A car goes by, and it backfires. All I heard was, boom! I dropped to the ground and went under the car. He looked at me, and he goes, there is medication for that. <laughs> PTSD! I heard a boom and I dropped, went under the car. I'd just come out of a war in Liberia. My mind invaded a thought and my body reacted to the thought that was in our mind. It's called PTSD spiritually. You come out of the world and your mind was all in the flesh. And then all of a sudden you come to Christ. Whoa, where did that thought come from? Now in Christ, you've got the power of the resurrection in you to take captive of that thought and do something with it. That's the difference of someone who's saved and someone who just gives in. Now let's go on. He says, think of whatever is lovely. Whatever is lovely. In the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon, you don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen, chapter 5, verse 16. The Song of Solomon prophetically says it best about our Lord Jesus. He is altogether lovely. Now, let me tell you the context of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. The couple is in a fight. The wife made a mistake, and it could have been the husband, but in this particular story, it's the wife. She made a mistake, okay? And they're in an argument. And she goes to her friends. Okay, that's the worst thing that you can do, okay? She, instead of going to Jesus, she goes to her friends. And her friends go to her, why is your husband so much better than everybody else? You know, she realizes, I've come to the wrong people. So she begins to edify her husband in front of everybody, and she says of her husband, he's altogether lovely. And let me describe what she's saying using Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This Greek word, 
okay, where Paul would have grabbed that word from in the Hebrew, this Greek word is actually a compound word. The first word is the word pros, okay, and that means a direction towards something, P-R-O-S, a pros. The second word, one you might know, is phileo, like Philadelphia. It means friendliness. So what this word lovely means is having a direction toward friendliness. So now jumping back to Song of Solomon, she's telling her friends he's always thinking about how to be friendly. He doesn't want to be at war with me. He wants to be my friend. Well, Jesus let us know that he wants us to be our friend. In John chapter 15, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this to his disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one life for his friends. You ever heard that song, uh, that country song? Let's talk about me. Let's talk about my. Let's talk about... You ever heard that song? So you guys don't like country music. All right, listen. <laughs> Neither do I. Sorry. So here's the deal. Do you know who you think about most every day, all day long? You. What do you want to eat? What do you want to wear? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to go with? How do you want to do it? I went to the closet today. What do I want to wear? We're always thinking about us. But what Paul is saying is, think about whatever's lovely. Get your mind off of you and be sacrificial and be thinking about someone else. He's already told us, consider, think about someone more than yourself. And what he's saying is, the way to be miserable is to think about you all day long. The way to get anxiety is to think about what's going on in your life all day long. The way to be filled with depression and fear and anguish is just to think about you. So he's giving us a practical help that says think about whatever is lovely. Think about the way that Jesus thought and he thought about laying his life down at his own expense for you. Then he says this, final word, think of whatever is good report good report. Now, this word means admirable. It means to be well spoken of. Now, this is important. Remember, there's an argument going on between two ladies. How many of us have ever said something? This one I want you to raise your hands for. How many have ever said something you regret in an argument? Anyone? Okay. A few of us? A few? Okay. My hand's up. Okay. I've said some things to my wife in the midst of an argument. Pastor Chet, that I feel horrible about. Like one time I said to her, this steak is not good. (laughs) Yes. One time I said to her, I don't like that dress. One day, she, one Christmas, we made a decision that we weren't going to buy gifts for each other, so I didn't. She did. And she looked at me, and she goes, I didn't really mean it. I mean, you're supposed to surprise me. How can I read your mind? And then I said to her, you got to tell me these things. Well, that just made it worse. That means you don't want to know my heart? Help me, Jesus. There's a verse in the Bible that I'm going to ask Jesus about, that verse that says, dwell with your wife with understanding. 
I'm going to ask Jesus, what did you mean by that one? Because she doesn't think anything like me, and I don't think anything like her. And I've come to the conclusion that God has given us that verse so that I can spend a lifetime purposing to understand my wife because I love her so dearly. Amen? That was, hey, husbands, that was getting me out of the uh, uh, doghouse for going home and sharing some of those other stories. She's sitting right here, and she's just smiling, but I know. (laughs) I love her. We've always got to be thinking about our testimony. Think about whatever is admirable. It means to be well-spoken of. You see, we've always got to be thinking about our testimony in mind because when we're angry, sometimes we say things that we don't mean and it hurts our testimony. And what Paul is saying to the ladies that are in an argument, if you say that or you do that, how will that affect people looking at you as admirable? Think about it. Our testimony is a powerful tool in the hands of God. But our testimony can be a powerful tool in the hands of the enemy as well. And since our thoughts affect the way that we behave, we've got to meditate on these things because our thinking affects our being. Now take a look how he closes, and this is where we end up. Philippians chapter 4, he says this. He says, if, he changes from the whatever, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now I need to take notice of that word if. It's very important that he's moved from the whatevers to the if because now Paul is summing up that if you choose, if you choose to put these whatevers into practice, think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report. If you choose to put the whatevers in practice, these things are virtuous. They are valuable. That's the word. They are praiseworthy. They are commendable. In other words, I'm commending these words to you to guard your minds. Now, let me give you something practical. If you're thinking about all six of these things and the multiplicity of truth and the multiplicity of nobility and the multiplicity of justice and the rightness of God, you won't have time to think of anything else. If you just think and purpose to think about these things, you've got your 6,000 thoughts a day completely covered. And think about this. How many of you had one thought and made one decision that you regret? You've had one thought and you made one decision that you've regret. Now imagine if you put these things into place and you have 6,000 spiritual thoughts in one day, no wonder the Bible says we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. No wonder. Because our thinking affects our being. So, how many of you have changed some of your minds? I've changed some of your minds. And you're thinking about how much you despise that person at work. Whatever is lovely. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to go home and watch that movie. Whatever is noble. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't wait to go. I'll let you decide. 
Now I'll ask the question. How many of you have changed some of your minds? That's called transformation. When we start thinking rightly, we'll behave rightly. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? How great is your word, Lord, that when we put your word and hide it into our hearts, it guards our minds. Would you fill our 6,000 thoughts tomorrow with whatever is lovely, whatever is pure? Would you fill them with whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just? Would you fill our minds with whatever is of good report? And for the 2,000 thoughts that might be left today, would you transform us with the renewing of our mind? Father, I pray for our body and myself. When those thoughts, thoughts that come out of nowhere, thoughts from a, a, a life previous lived, that we would not drop and cower under a car, that we, Lord, would take captive those thoughts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in prayer right now, would you just commit that to the Lord? Just commit that to the Lord. I'm taking my thoughts captive. They don't control me by the power of the resurrection. I'm controlling them. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.